name is Tatiana, and I get the honor to read scripture to you this morning. We will be reading from John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Good? In the front row, it's good. Everyone, could you all move up to the front? Uh, that was my fault. You got to turn your microphone on for it to work. So don't, like, look back at the back. They were doing their job. I failed on that one. All right. Um, so let's start over here. We'll start from here. All right. Excellent reading, Tatiana. Thank you so much. All right. So... So glad that you're here today. This beautiful passage of scripture has so much to teach us. And I'm really excited about getting into it. But first I want to talk about how that fresh fruit is free happiness, right? Now how many of you have some kind of fruit tree in your yard or you have access to one that your neighbor doesn't know that you're getting free fruit or something like that, right? Isn't it nice that you could just go and get food for free? It just comes off the tree from God. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in a place called Hartsville, South Carolina. Anybody here from Hartsville, South Carolina? No. All right. Now, I had a great time there. And the nice thing living in little towns is that you could just go outside your yard and you just go off into the woods and it's all yours. Like everything is free reign. And out there, there would be blackberry patches. So that's what you call areas where a bunch of blackberries grow. They're patches. Now, it's not organized. It's not somebody's farm. It's not somebody's yard. It's just they grow out in the wild, and you just go out there, and you pick blackberries all you want. Now, one of the things about blackberries is that they grow on thorn bushes. So when you go through these patches and you go, you have to make your way through. And you get cut all over your, anywhere you have skin showing, your legs, your arms. You know. But me and my brothers, when we were kids, so I would be like in elementary school, kindergarten, those age, you know, little 
five to seven year olds running through the woods without supervision like you do normally. We would just go and get everything we need and just fill buckets full of it. Then you come home, wash them and dump sugar on them and stir it up and eat them. Because in the South, if you don't fry it, you put sugar on it, right? So even though these blackberries are ripe and ready, we would add sugar and stir it and you'd eat them and it would stain your teeth and your lips would be purple and everything. It was great. I loved it. But also we had a thing called watermelon season. So in the summer, the watermelons would come ripe and they were so good because you just take them straight off the ground, put them in a refrigerator, then, then you bring them out and dad would get a giant knife, cut them off and you get a big thing like this. Uh, this is me and my brothers eating watermelon. Uh, gosh, this was in the 80s there, or early 80s. So there we are eating watermelon. And you just, juice covers you everywhere when you eat a watermelon in a big rind like that. You've done that, right? You've given your kids the entire rind and just let them chew on it until they get to the white part of it and everywhere. Now, you got to spit the seeds at each other because... Real watermelons have seeds. Everything in the wild grows with seeds and you have just this mess. But uh, fresh fruit is free food. It's like happiness, it's there. Now I know you don't have as much of that in Miami, but how many of you have a mango tree? Yeah, I see we've been getting boxes of mangoes delivered to the church. Thank you guys so much for that. Those of you who have the abundance of that. Well. When in one of our houses, we had a mango tree here in Miami. And uh, this tree was so good. Every other year, it would just produce a ton of mangoes. And we would just get to do it. And we would get to do that same thing where you eat all you can eat, and then you take to your friends, and then you bring to the church. And uh, one year, my son Isaac, who's 22 now, but then he was like in third grade maybe, fourth grade, somewhere around there. Uh, we took the mangoes and he put them all in a wagon cart and he would go around the neighborhood and sell them, you know. So better than Girl Scout cookies, right? He would go and he would sell mangoes, you know, for a dollar or two dollars or whatever. And he made enough money to buy his own ticket when we went on vacation to Pittsburgh that later that year. And so it was awesome. Like uh, free food just comes from God in trees to you and you get all this happiness from it. All right. So. As you think about that, think about the simplicity of life. The things that we want is just to enjoy life and, and, and just, you know, you long back for those days when you were little and things were simple and you didn't have stress, you didn't have worries, you didn't have, you know, these philosophical debates that go on in your mind and things like that. You just enjoyed what you had. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus leads us through this illustration of a vine to lead us to the part where we realize that joy flows to us through Jesus. That like this blessing of, of free fruit that you could just go pick and grab and enjoy, this is what Jesus offers to us in salvation. Now, he begins by creating uh, for us a, a position in this world. At some point in our life, we always come into this existential question of who are we and what is all of this about and why are we here and is there a God and what is that about? And, it, and, and we have to come up to, with some type of framework that puts all of reality for us. And that framework has a lens that, that we begin to interpret anything from. And it changes who we are on the inside and it changes how we view everything that happens. The other day I was having breakfast with a man and his framework was very much about power dynamics. 
And he went through like all of history and the history of the church and the history of the world and the history of all kinds of stuff. And everything was classified in this power dynamic of people who had power oppressed people who didn't have power. And if you get power, then you have the power. And everything was about this power positioning. And so his framework of the world was the more power you have, the better you are. Or if your power becomes corrupt, the more evil you are, and then actually it's the powerless who are the more moral. And and that was his way of view. And you probably see that a lot, whether it's in conversations with friends or maybe in your own uh, mindset trying to figure out this world or maybe through other uh, avenues of, of information and media and education, you're seeing very much a power dynamic being the way the world functions is those with power have and those who don't, don't. But that's a, that's a framework. Now, another one would be an identity-based framework where you really see the entire world through the lens of who am I? And everything that happens in, in whatever perspective is really about, well, who am I? And how does that impact me? And what's right to me and what's fair to me? And in this uh, person-centric view of the world, what you can do is you can then select from all philosophies and religions what you approve and accept as true for you. And then you kind of build your own religion and then you say, this is my God. And then we all have personal gods. Well, my God this and my, you know, and it's all individualized. And so that's a certain framework of life that you can see the world through a lens of what is my perspective on everything. And each of these frameworks do have an, an element of truth and a certain amount of truth that builds them and supports like weight to them so that you feel like adopting them. But Jesus gives us a different framework in John chapter 15. And this is a framework that God gives to us through the entirety of the Bible. And this is one of a redemption story. Not that this world is necessarily in just a power struggle, not that this world is just in relationship to what's happening to you, but in this world, God tells us that we are in the midst of a rescue story, a redemptive narrative. And it also began in a garden. In Genesis chapter one, it says that God created everything and he put Adam and Eve, he put man in a garden and the command was to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and to enjoy it. Notice how Jesus' story here begins with, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, is the husband, is the gardener, is the farmer. He's the one creating this garden. So he's setting our relationship Because without understanding our real relationship to God and our real relationship to this world, we're gonna get off track. We're gonna go the wrong way. And so he establishes the relationship of God, the Father who created things. And this is the redemptive narrative that you live in. This is for us to understand how to filter everything and how to come to the conclusion of who we are and who God is. Because God created us to enjoy this world. Just be fruitful, multiply, enjoy. Live a life of success, build communities and families and, 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 and live happily. But there was also a command not to eat of one fruit. It was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it says this tree was the one that would bring them to the knowledge of, of understanding of what God knew. And the struggle in that sin was where as people, we try to become God. We want to be in control. We want to be in charge. And throughout this process, and you could spend just 
lifetimes examining everything that happened in this moment of temptation when, when they ate of the fruit. And sin entered the world. And God's word said, and death by sin. And so now we all experience the pain of this world. We understand sin because we understand the things around us. We see the world as sinful. We look at the power struggles and the injustice in this world, and we say, see, there is sin, there is corruption. We learn of the, the problems in our society as we even try to reach to serve in foster care, and we see there's sin in this world. People abuse and hurt other people. Then we look deeper and we say, there's sin in me. We realize that we aren't the person we want to be. We aren't the person we project to be. And inside us is this corruption and there's this, this thing that we wish didn't happen, but it's there. So sin entered this world and it entered us and it just created havoc in all that we do. But God didn't leave us in that. In fact, as Adam and Eve were hiding in the fruit trees and making clothes out of fruit leaves, he came to them and promised them a redeemer. And in this verse, Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the source that gets planted in this new garden that is going to bring life. That's gonna make all things right. And so the father is the vine dresser. And he has created a redemptive story that is coming. And Jesus is that redemptive process. And so he comes as the vine and he lives as a man perfectly. Sets so the example for what we could long to become. But more than that, he becomes the replacement of what we could never become. And he said that his perfection and his goodness would be put on us if we would receive it. Now, this is a difficult part in salvation to grasp. Because if you're like me, you would prefer a more logical way that people would be saved. You see, I would like to think that, well, I'm going to be a good person. And since I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to get rewarded for my goodness. And God will give me more because I am good. I'll earn eternal life. I will be allowed into heaven because I'm better than a lot of evil people. And our, our natural tendency would like to be in that mindset, is that my own goodness will earn my own place and God will reward me for how good I am. And the inverse would be true. Evil people, bad people, people worse than me will not have it as good as me because they have been worse than me. And we think of that mindset. But what Jesus says is that he is the vine and the vine is the source of life and salvation that flows. And that what I am is not another vine. I'm not a new source of righteousness and goodness to bring into this world. I am a branch that is connected to the vine that's already there. And as a branch, I receive the perfection and goodness and beauty of Jesus Christ because he is the source of it. And he dumps that out on me as I connect to him. So it's no longer the goodness that I would try to be of my own, but now it is simply abiding in faith with Jesus Christ. He did that by hanging on a branch. A tree, a branch was cut in the form of a cross 
He died on the cross as a sacrifice of death to pay for the sins, not just that I've committed, but the sins of this whole world so that there might be freedom in life. And the words we sing and in the, the verse that we began, you saw this theme taught to us. My sin, though it was this crimson, would be washed as white as snow. So now I have forgiveness and I have hope and I have peace. Not because I've earned it and not because I am great, but because I have become connected to the true vine. And my life flows from that. This perspective of a redemption story now allows me to have peace in my life because I understand my relationship to God and my relationship to this world. And that story, that peace, if you could understand and grasp that as well, will keep you out of, you see, because a power narrative will always make you angry because there's always injustice and someone who has power who shouldn't and someone who uses it wrong and someone who should have got this but never got. You'll see the injustice forever. And you'll just be angry because it feels like an unjust world and you will not have peace because now the struggle to gain power so that you could use the power to do what you wanted to do. The identity will just bring you anxiety. If you see the world as just a prism through which you select what you see is right and wrong according to you, the anxiety will overwhelm you because you are not a God. You're not wise enough. and You do not have enough experience in life to be able to measure all things and understand all things and know what to do with it. And you won't have the strength to withhold the doubt that will come. And if it's all dependent on you, you'll be crushed with anxiety when the time comes. But if you hold to this relationship, this narrative that God has given to us in his word of a redemption story, that he's a good father who created all things good and that sin has entered the world and is creating havoc and destruction, but he's not left it alone. He has sent a redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that redeemer loves you and has bought you and has called you to be in relationship with him. And now you are a branch fixed to him. And you are producing a fruit and a life that is now changing the world. That redemptive narrative story now gives you a focus to see and filter everything. So that you could live at peace. Because peace comes when we understand our relationship with God. Now this peace comes through something that Jesus says 10 times in this short passage. You see the word that just kept getting repeated? Abide. 10 times he said abide. What does it mean to abide? To abide in this instance, to abide means to remain, to stay, to stay connected. And I was trying to figure out ways that we could understand what abiding means because we know he's telling us 10 times, abide with me, abide with me, abide with me. Abide. So it's really important to Jesus. Now, I bought these flowers on Thursday. Not so good, are they? Didn't take long for these. Now, some of you might be able to make something awesome with it. You'll be like, oh, hang that upside down and I'll press it and great. But they're dead, they're withering, they're falling apart in just a matter of days because they don't abide. They're no longer connected to a source of life in just no time at all. These, these dry things are just withering away. So Jesus gives us in this verse the example of what it is not to abide. 
It says you're cut off, you're withered, and it says you're actually gathered and burned away. So we understand the idea of being cut off, and maybe you have felt that way, where you have felt like you've drifted away from God and you're no longer connected to God and you've maybe rebelled and run from him, or you just felt like it, and this is how you feel, dry, useless, and dying. So that's the opposite of abide. But necessarily understanding what that feels like doesn't help us understand as much what it means to abide, to remain, to stay. There's a phrase in here that Jesus, he says, as the fathers loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Love is what establishes a constant connection. And so peace is what we get when we understand our relationship with God. But love is the thing that establishes our connection to God. Jesus says, because the father loved us, he sent his son to us. He says, because the father loves me, he says, I love you. And so love creates a constant connection. Now, God gave us this example through marriage. His intent in creating marriage was to be a picture, it says, of Jesus and the church. And so the intent of that was that it says a a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave into his wife and they will become one flesh. They will abide. They will be connected. And that love is to remain until you die. Now, when you say the vows, we say what? Uh, For richer, for poor, sickness and health, for better or worse, till death do us part. That's a picture of abiding, of staying through the hard and through the good and through the difficult and through the pain. And in fact, as you look through, and you know, we could do the thing where we say, anybody here been married 50 years? Anyone 60 years? Anyone 20? You know, and those who've been married for a really long time, whatever that number is to you, they understand what it means to abide. They can look back and they can say, you know what? I remember the hard times and sticking through them. I remember being dirt poor and sticking through it. I remember fighting and sticking through it. And now there's this abiding where you remain, you stay, and you come to the point where you can't even separate your identities anymore. You really view your whole life as being that person's spouse, as that's part of who you are. You've become one. God gives us that example in one way. There's many ways in which people abide. Many people have been a part of this church for years and stayed and been a part of it. I think of, um, I hate to use names, but it gives us a great picture, even if it embarrasses people, but... That's on them, not me. Uh, I think an example of someone like Peggy who sits with people and abides with them in their time of trouble and their difficulty and the impact that makes over time. And I see, even in this section here, people that Peggy has sat with <laughs> and they've abided and they're here and they lead worship. And then just like, Uh, Esteban and Tatiana invited everyone to their house. Not everyone. Young adults. He said he didn't qualify it, but yeah. (laughs) But through the changes of their life, they abide. They continue to open their abode 
to people to come and abide with them and just be. And over years, you see this discipleship making process come to life just from abiding, just from staying year after year, just from opening up their hearts, just from opening up their homes, just from sitting down and making relationships and saying, I'll be here. Those are examples of what it means to abide. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? This long, continuous relationship. It's just staying connected, and it can come in many different forms. You can look in, in different ways for you and for me, but to stay connected through this love we have. Now, another example of abiding um, would be a kangaroo. Now, when a kangaroo has a baby, where does, where does the baby go? The baby abides in the pouch. Isn't that so cute, right? Now, if a baby abides in the pouch, there you have the little, what's he called? Joey. I wish April Lovins here, who's also very good at abiding, because this is my pun for the day. So when you abide in Christ, you receive joy. All right? That's the whole point of the kangaroo. That was the only part. That was for April, who's great at abiding, and we have a lot of great people here because of that. Because what is the last line in this passage? It says that you will have my joy, and your joy will be complete. Joy is one of the outcomes of abiding. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll have love. So peace is what we have because we understand our relationship with God. Love is the thing that connects us continuously through the ups and downs of life, through the struggles, through the doubts, through all these things. Because God has loved you, he has grabbed onto you. And your love for God, you continue your connection to him. And out of that flows joy. Think about what fruit is, right? Fruit is meant to simply be a pleasure, or something to enjoy. God created these plants that they produce something that's sweet and juicy and you get to eat it. And it's just for the sake of joy to have it. And I think that's something that's easy for us to forget in our relationship with God. We very easily can, can draw the guidelines of a relationship with God and the duties of a relationship with God. But sometimes we, we set aside the idea of joy. That God intended for you to enjoy your life with him. Here's Jesus meeting with his disciples in this compressed time that he has before he is about to die on the cross for our sins. And you know what he says? He says, I'm telling you this so that you could enjoy me. And enjoy life to the fullest. I think it's easy for us to, to kind of take that away and, and and desire to be martyrs for Jesus, to feel we're, we're more spiritual when we have less joy. I had someone once, uh, I don't know if they were being funny or if they were correcting me, but they were like, they were asking this question, do you love Jesus? You're like, yeah. It's like, well, tell your face. Because if your face looks, you know, lack of joy, grumpy, angry, but you're like, I love Jesus. I'm at peace with my relationship with him. I'm loved and connected, you know. It's like, well, joy, tell your face that you love Jesus and that you have peace and that you have salvation and you have eternal life because joy is a fruit, is an outcome of 
this relationship we have with him. And so that fruit of peace, love, and joy come. And as you live through those things, it says it begins now to impact the world. Now fruit also, not only is it created for pleasure, but fruit has seeds. And those seeds make more plants, more fruit. And then you see the multiplication of discipleship comes through the fruit that goes. In fact, in what the command Jesus God gave originally was be fruitful and multiply, right? The sharing, the expanding, the openness, the welcomeness. And as he's talking to his disciples in this moment about the vine, he's preparing them to multiply over the entire earth. He is about to leave them. And we talked about last week, give them the Holy Spirit to guide them as they make disciples in all the world to multiply. And how does that happen? It happens through this connection with Jesus. And what is the natural end of that? It produces fruit. When you go to the grocery store, where do they keep all the fruit? The what section? Produce section, right? Everyone got that, right? They just didn't say it out loud. The produce section. It is the production of something. The reason they call it produce. So in your life, what does your connection to God produce? What's the outcome of that? What is coming through you because of that? Because you're simply a branch connected to the life of Jesus. And then from that connection of you to him, something is being produced. Peace, because you know your place. Love, because he has loved you. And joy, because you are now in a position of security in him. Jesus tells his disciples, they'll know my disciples because they love one another. And he says, and you will do good works and they will see your good works and they will glorify your father in heaven. So the reproduction of disciples across the world comes from the fruit of Christ in your life. In conclusion, I want to encourage you in this way. Abide in him. Now, abiding in the church is not the same as abiding in Christ. You can go to church and not feel connected to God. That's quite possible. But let me tell you, the purpose of our church is to help you abide in Christ. It's to create opportunities and structures and ways that we can help you to abide in Christ. So a worship service like today was all geared so that you would see and remember Christ, that you would listen to him and you would want to follow him and that you would, your soul would be reawakened. Because I don't know about you, but throughout the week, I could become like this, cut off and dried and withered. And then you gather here and there's a refreshing connection. There's a revival of that. And it refocuses my life on Christ. Another thing I could encourage you to do, if you're not already in a group, you should be a part of a group. In fact, I should be able to ask anybody, what group are you in? And you'll say, I'm in blank group, right? That's the level you would want to be in your life, that you knew who was your group and who were your people. Because in this setting, I can talk to you, but you can't talk to me. And all of these wonderful, amazing stories of what God is doing and abiding, I get to name two or three people, but you all have stories to share and tell and encourage one another. You can only do that in a group. 
You can only do that with people who can listen and speak and guide. And many of the things in your life you don't want to share before 200 people. You need a handful that you trust. So to abide in Christ, you, you need a group. Now, granadachurch.com slash groups has a list of groups that you can join at any moment. But I want to tell you about another level of groups that we have at Granada that you could begin to explore. And that is something we call life-on-life discipleship. Life-on-life discipleship is something that's actually created with this in mind. The idea that you would go deeper rooted in relationship with God in a smaller setting so that you can have a greater level of trust and intimacy with the people walking with you. So a life-on-life group has a very intense curriculum and it lasts for a year, at least, and you commit to it. Now, you won't find life-on-life groups on our website because you can't just join one randomly. You have to commit to it. And to commit to it, we have to make sure you have a leader and a group and a preparation. And so what I can encourage you today is that in the ministry hub back here, if you're interested in being a part of a group that goes deeper like that, that establishes a solid connection over time, then go there and fill out an interest sheet and then one of our leaders of that will try to help plug and fit the right group and see if we have something that's available for you in life on life discipleship. Because these are structures and opportunities that the church places in front of you so that you can abide with Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you present yourself so clearly and so lovingly to us. Here in this short passage, you've told us 10 times to abide with you. There's no way we can forget that. Six times you said our fruit will show. You promised us love and joy and peace. And these are the things that we already desired. We just didn't know how to find them. So God, I'm so thankful that you have laid this out for us. So God, now I pray that you would help us to stop the excuse machine in our minds that's just saying, oh, I can't this, that, and this. And Lord, just to connect to you, to listen to your spirit move through us right now, to desire to know a real relationship with you that transforms us, Lord, that allows us to be filled with that peace that comes from only knowing you and that joy that, that blossoms from our security in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we respond and worship together, um, something 